here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. Jesus said it's a new commandment. Why a new commandment? Because we have an example of exactly what he wants us to do. He illustrated it. He demonstrated it by his life. Jesus gave us an example to follow for loving one another. In John 13, 34, notice what the text says, love one another as what? As I have loved you. That's an interesting point that Pastor Ed brings up. Why is loving each other a new commandment from Jesus? Throughout the Bible, we are told that love is the most important. Love from God, through us, and out to the world in need. The difference is made clear in today's message. Jesus gave us the ultimate example of what love is and how powerful it can be. We now have this example laid out before us, a model we can use to bless all who we can come in contact with. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, Love One Another. That command often goes against our emotions, our feelings. In fact, you see this in conflict when people say, well, I really don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't feel like I'm loving, so I'm not going to love. Jesus gave you a command. He didn't say go by your feelings. If you go by feelings, you'll shipwreck your life. If we go by feelings, we'll make a lot of terrible decisions. Some days we feel up, some days we feel down. Some days we feel close to people, some days we feel far away from those close to us. And if we go by feelings, people will jump in and out of marriage. Serial marriages will be the story of their lives. Constantly making wrong decisions. Now, Jesus didn't say go by feelings, but he said love is an action. It's something you do. Even though you don't feel like doing it, you still get up and you prepare and take care of your family. You still act in a loving way towards your spouse when you don't quite feel like acting in a loving way. And when those kids drive you absolutely crazy, you still love them. Amen? John R.W. Stott said, Christian love is not the victim of our emotions, but the servant of our will. All through the journey, we will be tested as to our love for one another. We'll be tested as to our commitment to one another. You can count on it. It's a guarantee. Again and again, you'll be tested. You'll be offended by somebody in the church. You'll be offended by somebody in your life. You'll be offended by others. And you'll have to move out of yourself and take up the cross and follow Christ and love like he commanded us to love. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as that can be obtained. You simply want to do the right thing towards others. The best for them. This command is very specific. We have a new commandment and we are to demonstrate it in a brand new community that was formed when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. It's referring to fellow believers, the community to love. He describes love one another, love one another. Now, that was a task. Peter, rash, 
outspoken, John, contemplative, thoughtful. James and John, ambitious, wanting the first preeminent place. Andrew more seclusive and individualistic. Zealots in that group. Doubters like Thomas. What a compilation of people. But love was the glue that held them together. And the community of faith is to be connected by an incredible love that we have for one another. Count on it. It will be difficult to love other Christians. I know when you first come in the church, you're excited, but sit next to someone for a year, two years, ten years, and you notice they have feet of clay. You notice they're not all that you thought they might be. You see the reality. It's at that moment when your love is tested and you say, I will love them, flaws, fault, and all. James Dobson said, There is no greater opportunity to influence our fellow man for Christ than to respond with love when we have been unmistakably wronged. There are times that you feel you were wronged and you're right on. But then you lay it at the altar, you give it to God, and you walk in love. Pastor was planning to do a missions trip, and they were going to do it in the States. And the missionary who was arranging those missions trips came over to meet with him and planned for it. And they wanted to help the poor, the needy, those who were struggling financially. And so they designed this missions trip so that they would repair homes, fix up houses, help people with uh, things that uh, they couldn't do themselves. And the pastor said, I have one request from you, just one request. We need to go either out of state or a real distance from our community. And the missionary said, "Well, well, there's a lot of needs right here. There's a lot of poverty in your backyard. He said, well, it just won't work. See, the people in our church know those people. And when they see them, they think, boy, they're getting what they deserve. I know him, I know her. Uh, they didn't act too wisely, and they're reaping what they've sowed. Why should we help them? It's better if they can, the pastor said, help someone they don't know. They'll feel better about it. Oftentimes, it's hardest to love those closest to us because we know their frailties. We know their flaws and faults. And that's why Jesus said, love one another. Love within the community of faith. You know the old ditty, it says, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) What we need to do is go outside of ourselves And reach out to others to show that incredible love. Notice that the text says a new commandment. Well, in the Old Testament, it talks about love. Loving God, loving people. That's foundational to the Hebrew Bible. To our New Testament, of course. But Jesus said it's a new commandment. Why a new commandment? Because we have an example of exactly what he wants us to do. He 
illustrated it. He demonstrated it by his life. Jesus gave us an example to follow for loving one another. In John 13, 34, notice what the text says, love one another as what? As I have loved you. Paul the Apostle said it this way, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Our life is to be a sacrificial life. It's not about self, it's about the Savior. It's not about me, mine, and my own. It's about God. He's the center, and our lives revolve around him, not around ourselves. Griffith Thomas said, love is the outgoing of the entire nature in self-sacrificing service. How did Jesus love you? Well, he loved you, I believe, in a number of ways, but two ways I've chosen to focus on this. He loves us redemptively. He loves us redemptively, and then he loves us with a reconciling love, a redemptive love. In John 15, 12, and 13, it says, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus came as our Redeemer to pick us up. Oh, how frustrated we get with our children, with our spouse, with our friends, because they stumble, and they stumble, and they stumble. And we say, I got to pick you up again, I got to pick you up again, I got to pick you up again. What does Jesus do for you? I mean, there's somebody here that knows what I'm talking about. There's somebody that knows what it means to have God's redeeming love in their lives where again and again the gracious hand of Almighty God has come and picked them up out of that miry clay and lifted them up to stand upon a rock. Hallelujah. See, this redeeming love is a love where a spouse praise for their partner even though that partner isn't quite measuring up to all they want them to be and should be but they pray oh Lord will you just bless them will you help them it's that parent who prays continually for that prodigal son that prodigal daughter it's that church leader who watches the ardor the zeal the love for Christ abating in someone's life and they go and they kindle that fire and help them run the race that God's called them to run and that love is always a costly love that love means you will suffer Agatha Christie said, if you love, you will suffer. And if you do not love, you do not know the meaning of the Christian life. Remember Hosea in the Bible? God told him to go marry Gomer. And she was a mess. Now, Aldridge and Curtis in the book from Sacred Romance describe this relationship of Hosea to Goma in very contemporary terms. Stay with me as I read it to you. Have you ever had to turn a lover over to a mortal enemy to allow her to find out for herself 
what his intentions towards her really were. Have you ever had to lie in bed knowing she was believing his lives and was intimate with him every night? Have you ever sat helplessly by in the parking lot while your enemy and his friends took advantage of your lover even as you sat nearby, unable to win her heart enough so that she could trust you to rescue her? Have you ever called this one you had loved for so long and asked her if she was ready to come back to you only to have her say her heart was still captured by your enemy? Have you ever watched your lover's beauty slowly fade in a haze of alcohol, drugs, occult practices, and infant sacrifices until she no longer was recognizable in her body or soul? Have you ever loved one so much that you even sent your only son to talk with her about your love for her, knowing that he will be killed by her? God loves us even when we turned our back on him and ran from him. Even when we faltered along the way, not heeding his voice, listening to his call, closing our ears and closing our hearts and setting our pace in a direction other than towards him. God loves us and pursues us. The hound of heaven comes after us again and again and again. And Jesus turns to us and says, love others the way I have loved you. Be a mirror to them of my love for you. Reflect my love to them. The love that I've demonstrated day after day, year after year, decade after decade for you demonstrate to them. True love is always costly. But it's sanctifying. When you meet unconditional love, it does something to you. Meet a Christian who loves unconditionally, even when you falter, even when you fail, even when you're frail. And it does something inside of you. When you meet that love, it transforms you. It sanctifies you. It brings you to another level. I want to be a lover of God and a lover of his people. I want to do what Jesus said to do. I know. In that way, I will bless his kingdom. And in that way, you will bless his kingdom. Jesus calls us. He commands us to love. And then he gives us his example of unconditional love. He loves us with a redeeming love. He loves us with a reconciling love. I was in Bible college, graduated, went into the ministry, came back to my home church, and I asked if my pastor and some of the elders would pray over me. And it was a Sunday morning, and I came on the platform, and Pastor Greco laid hands on me, and they prayed. And what I had asked Pastor Greco was this. I said, would you pray for me? Because the anointing that's on you, I want. See, Brother Greco was a reconciler. If any of you know anything about Italians, they can be hot-headed. Brother Greco used to tell me, Pastor Greco used to say, 
go to a ministerium in the CCNA and you'll lose your sanctification. As these ministers got at each other. But it was amazing with him. People would be at odds. Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, congregants. And they would go into his office looking like they were ready to strangle each other. An hour later, they would come out arm in arm at peace with one another. He had this ministry of reconciliation. And God tells us how important reconciliation is. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. That's how his love was demonstrated to us. He reconciled mankind with God as his arms were outstretched on the cross, reaching up to God and reaching down to man. He brought together that which there was enmity between. Man had enmity with God. And we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. God calls us to express that redeeming love. Love is the power to act each other into well-being. I like that. Love is the power to act each other into well-being. The wrath of man never, never, never works the righteousness of God. You lose your temper. You see red. You're throwing hand grenades. And you know, some people live like that. I mean, they do. They walk through life throwing hand grenades of conflict and division. Setting people against one another and bringing out the worst in one another. God calls us to demonstrate his reconciling love. Again, Carl Menninger said, love cures people, both the ones who give it and the one who receives it. Don't worry if people aren't returning your love. It's doing something in you. It's doing something in you. Quickly and briefly, the last point. There's a command to love, and there's the example to follow to love, but also there's a wonderful promise that if we do love, something will happen among us. In verse 35, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So often we focus on methodologies and methodologies are fine, but I think we need to go back to the Bible and focus on the word and live out the word and watch it happen, watch the results. God promises us if we will do what he says, there are a number of things that are going to happen. First, the world will know the truthfulness of our profession. All men will know you are my disciples. How do I know that you're really in touch with God. How do I know that this church has a relationship with God? I tell you, God's word says that if we will follow his command, we'll follow his example, people will know that we are his children. It will be the hallmark of faith assembly of God. When people look at our church and look at this community of believers, they'll say how they love one another. That should be the preeminent mark of this community of faith. People who truly love each other. What brought you into the church? Was it great music? Great preaching? 
I don't know. I know what brought me in. I could feel the love in that community of faith. I could feel that they cared and they were concerned. I could sense that there was a community of people who really knew God and cared about each other. And the proclamation, the world will know the truthfulness of our proclamation. In John 17, 23, he said this, may they experience such perfect unity the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Wow. There is something about a community of believers that love one another and love God and following the scriptures. You sense the witness of the Spirit in the preaching, in the teaching, in the worship, in the prayers, in the life of that church. And what we need as a church to do is say, Lord, here I am. God, we want to proclaim the truth. And we want the world to know that what we're saying is true. They're looking at our lives. They're looking at our response to one another. They're looking at how we live and how we interact. What an incredible power the church has if it will just simply live the way Christ called us to live. It was 1860, the year that President Lincoln was elected as President of the United States. A young boy, 23 years of age, invented a game that's lasted well over 100 years. His name was Milton Bradley. He invented the game of life. And the game started off at birth and it ended at death. And to win that game, you had to make good decisions, virtuous decisions. If you made bad decisions, you'd end up in a bar on the floor uh, and it, it talked about all of the problems. And that's how you lost the game, if you made wrong decisions. Well, a hundred years later, in 1960... When President Kennedy was elected, they reinvented the game, so called it the game of life. But this time, it was based on consumerism. They'd give you a number of millions of dollars in that game, and it started off at birth. It didn't end at death, but it ended at retirement. And you didn't collect insurance policies and stocks. And, and, and to win the game, you had the most money at the end. Well, a number of years ago, they reinvented the game again in 2008. And this is the title or one of the uh, statements on the game. A thousand ways to live your life. You choose. And there's no finish line. And you don't have money, even though it's based on money, you have a credit card. <laughs> and you win by accumulating points. Well, the game changed with the changing times. But God hasn't changed the rules of his game. It's the same in the first century, the second century, a millennium later, two millenniums later. Love. Well, that's all the time we have for today's edition of Voice of Faith with Pastor Ed Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. 
There's more to come from Pastor Ed's look at the Gospel of John. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and select today's date from the Voice of Faith media plan. Again, that's voiceoffaithradio.com. Maybe today's message brought a family member or a friend to mind. You can share today's message via Facebook and Twitter by simply logging on to voiceoffaithradio.com and clicking on today's date. There you'll find all the options to share. Now we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join Pastor Ed as he continues teaching through the Gospel of John right here on Voice of Faith.